Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Watari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who loves to ride the rails with his fake sister. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and what is better in life, Pat, than riding the rails, pretending that your girlfriend is your sister, getting mad when people insinuate that your fake sister is your girlfriend, well, I and, mean, and murdering someone? I, I don't know... In the beginning of the story, our narrator, which is the little, is the child. The the actual sister, yes. Right. She implies that somehow telling the world that she's his sister prevents problems over telling the world that she's his wife or girlfriend. How is that true? Yes. It, I assume... It has something to do with societal norms at the time, but I don't I know. I guess so, but like my Im- like I, like I telling mean, the world that she's his girlfriend. But he may could be a just tell her she's that you his get some wife. moralistic thing. But yes, wife. you are already like, lying. It can be yeah. any lie you want it to be at that yes. time. At that point, there like, could be so many lies. And like, I don't understand why girlfriend or sister is better than wife in terms of like. It's not like sister's not affording her more like protection or yeah. or or like in fact it probably affords her less, right? Like in the sense that like in when you consider sort of societal norms at the time wouldn't wouldn't it actually be better for her to be his wife in terms of like just sort of like preventing I don't know the events of the fucking movie. Uh, well, I mean, to to give you the actual answer to that, there's no in-world justification for it, but it is all a meta-reference to the Bible. Um, oh, well, that's, and, that's good. Uh, in Genesis 12, uh, Abram, who would later be called Abraham, says that, uh, um, or rather, no, this is, I think, in Genesis 20, after Abraham is Abra- Abraham, um, uh, tells uh, tells some local ruler that his wife Sarah is actually his sister, um, which leads that local ruler to try to marry Sarah, and uh, then God intervenes, and everything comes to light. I mean... Which is really, which is really in in the biblical narrative is also uh, <laughs> only a half lie because they are actually <laughs> Abraham and Sarah are half siblings. Um, like, but for real, what does that have to do with this movie? I, I mean, why make that choice in this movie? Because there are a lot of weird, uh, esoteric religious elements to this film. Right. But like, why does this movie have that stuff in it? I don't understand. Because... Um, gosh, if I know, man. What I'm trying to get a grip on here is, why is this movie? Pat, I'm sure we'll spend the next hour discussing why is this movie.
Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, Pat. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, if you want to support us, help us keep going. Uh, that's how to do it. Um, I guess you could just give us money directly I without mean, wanting any sort of reward. Also, you can just send us nice messages on the internet. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really, the nice messages on the internet is actually probably a, a, a really good <laughs> Almost way. equally valuable, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Keeping us all a little bit, a little more sane. Yeah. But uh, but Patreon.com is as lost in Criterion. For a dollar, you get access to uh, to bonus episodes. We do non-Criterion films over there. Often movies that maybe should be in the Criterion collection, like uh, Dog Day Afternoon. There's or, a, uh, there is a sort of slight implication of the entire Patreon system that Pat is uncultured, and there are certain movies Pat just needs to watch, <laughs> which I really appreciate uh, Which I is why recently we watched them. Network over there. Uh, I we're actually really them. we are super Sydney Lumet heavy. I'm realizing, like, uh, like we got Lumet. a thing going on. I mean, like, Dog Day Afternoon, um, <laughs> Network, and uh, and Failsafe, which was well, later added to the Criterion Collection, were all episodes we did over know, on, on the bonus. They're good. They're all good movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing about it is, is like what I like about that implication is that like I I don't know. I just must have a very different. Like pre this podcast, watching, I've seen a lot of movies, and right, there's just right. none of the movies we're watching for the uh, for yeah. the thing. Uh, but I appreciate I, it. I'm learning a lot. I just happen to have seen a few of the movies that we're watching for the thing, and uh, yeah, no, uh, Network was a really fantastic episode uh, that we did as the April bonus, and uh, and Pat, it was his first time seeing it. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, but I haven't watched it in a few years, and we ended up having just a really, really I oh, thought yeah. great that was but, good. Uh, also fairly long conversation. It about is the it. longest episode of this show but, ever yeah. recorded. Yeah, uh, though only by about five minutes. Um, but <laughs> do you it, think that's it is more of a two hours? Do you think huh? that's a more of a symptom of society and the way, place we are right now than it is of the movie? <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying anything negative right. about the movie, but like. Is it just because you and I are both like the stress? If he had like, watched it five years ago, would we have watched it less? Um, maybe, or talked about it less rather. Uh, if we uh, if we weren't currently, if we watched it three months ago, would we have talked yeah, about I, it? less? That's what I'm wondering Almost because, certainly. like, you you, I mean, I think the key factor is like we're both somehow this is like a stress venting yeah. thing. It also helped that the day we recorded that episode, we really didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, and we got started early, up. so we had we had a lot of time on our hands at the, in and that I very moment. I still went to bed at the normal time that I go to bed after right, that because, right. like, it was a three-hour episode of our podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it was it was just under two. Don't scare people yeah. off. But I mean, uh, the Patreon.com really slash Lost in Criterion. If you do want to hear that, um, we do we do non Sidley Lumet films over there all the time. We too. promise. Um, we did. <laughs> Uh, Ernest Goes to Camp is a great episode. So you're uh, telling me that wasn't directed by Sidney Lumet? Uh, not as far as I recall, oh. though I could be wrong, I suppose. God, it would um, be really funny if it were. <laughs> it would die, actually. Yeah. Um, we've done uh, Ready Player One over there. We've done Aliens. Also directed by Sidney um, Lumet. Yeah. Uh, we have fun over there. It's, it's good stuff. Also, always... Because uh, you get guys, uh, the supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch, and that poll always contains uh, uh, Kazam, the yeah, 1996 you a, children's movie. Yeah, yeah you have a uh, wicked a superpower, choice. which is to force yeah. us to watch Kazam for you can all force eternity. Force us to watch Kazam for all eternity. Too. 
for just at this point you could do that for like 10 bucks you know you're gonna have to start 10 different accounts but um yeah i mean you could overpower the entire thing with not that much money if you don't want to put your money all toward getting us to watch kazam though uh for five dollars a month we uh thank those people on air so thank you to uh christopher otto who is currently our only five dollar a month yes, supporter, thank you but we're very grateful to have him and uh, and for a little above that or ten dollars a month in fact uh instead of having ten one dollar accounts to vote and mess with the vote you could get something that i think is pretty special um pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently and i get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personal note off and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. And we also like to thank them on air. Thank you to Jason Westhaver, to Adam Speakerman, and to Michael McGrath yeah, for you your $10 much. and above support. Uh, yeah. Also, I believe our three longest time supporters at this point. And, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. We're very grateful to have you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, you know, this, this month's postcard is meh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. My best work. Uh, all right, Pat. To the movie. To the and movie. the why of the movie. <laughs> okay. So, like, I, I'm not really looking for, Let's, like, why was this movie made? Fine. Okay. Yeah. Like, I get it. The story is pretty good, like, just on, on, on a general basis. It's It's got, you know, it, it's it's fairly engaging. I now own it because of the way Amazon yeah. works. Um, For all eternity, I own it. Um. I, I again I'm not really like questioning why the movie itself was made. Like that's fine. The movie is fine. It it's pretty good. It's, you know, um depression era like one of those sort of like I I'm never really a super big fan of movies that are set in that time period that are not were not made in that time period or relatively close yeah. thereafter. The 70s feels like a weird time to go back to the Dust Bowl, but um, mainly just because the sensibilities of art at the time sort of seems to fight against what you're trying to do rather than work for you. Um, Because you end up making the the Dust Bowl seem very romantic, which always strikes me Well, to be fair, this was was actually pre-Dust Bowl uh, even. So right. Dust, Bowl, okay, but Dust yeah. Bowl's in conjuncture with uh, with uh, the Great Depression. Uh, this is about 1916. We see World War One soldiers in the final. Oh, scene. I guess that's true. I guess I sort so, of like mashed them all together. Yes, yeah. you're right. You, you're you're correct. Yeah. But we're still yeah. we're still right on the cusp of that stuff because we yeah. we already have people. We you sort of see it sort of. Um, yeah, you're right. Poor it's, people, uh, poor people in the prairies, uh, right? In the which early is that, 20th that same sort of theme. Is, yes, yeah. yeah. You're you're lot. right. That it is not. Yeah. A, I'm not being accurate about. So life didn't frame. change a lot for them over the course of that 40 years. So right. Yeah. Uh, well, before before we get into anything, let's name the film. How about Days of Heaven uh, from 1978, I mean, directed by Terrence to. Malick? That's <laughs> no, kidding. Um, which we hadn't hadn't done yet, so I thought we should. I guess we have. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, as as Pat alluded to, it is an early foray. I've never seen Badlands, which is Malik's first film from '73. No, um, me neither. But Malik has increasingly lately um, 
gotten more and more sort of into weird Christianity in in the movies. Um, what recently? Non, uh, more recently. Um, more so recently. I mean. Okay, because I was going to say, like, that's we're also, about to talk about that now. That's a thing that's we're also, about to talk about. That's also an interesting thing. I've never seen Badlands, so I can't, I can't speak to it. But the next film he made is Thin Red Line, uh, which we will watch in about a year and a half, I believe. Um, but Thin Red Line is a war movie. Uh, right. And also it came out in uh, 1998. Uh, Terrence yeah, I I, got I, so stressed out on Days of Heaven. A movie he took two years to edit. Yeah, I saw that uh, in the sort of that uh, he the did not make another movie for twenty years. That's wild. Um, now, now, and I'm sure we will talk about this extensively on that next episode. Um, uh, but uh, when he was editing the Thin Red Line, I learned recently that Terrence Malick was listening to uh, Green Day, I believe, Dookie. <laughs> Instead of the audio of the movie, the entire time he edited what the Thin Red Line. Yes, yes. What are you telling me right now? I Adam? don't even know what to make of that information, man. What is this fucking world we live in? Yeah. Um, how is that? How is that conceivably true? Yeah. Like, no, I know you're not lying to me, but like, obviously, still. in 1978, uh, he was not listening to Green Day while he edited this well, for two years. Never um, underestimate what's possible in this world is what I've fair. learned. That's fair. Based on um, mostly the doctrine of Scorsese. Yeah. Now after after the Thin Red Line, he has uh, he has increased his output. He's making a movie every every couple of years now, I believe, on average. Until he stresses um, himself out again with something kind of yeah. dumb. Um, I don't even know if at this point, most recently. Would would qualify? I don't know. He might have released another one since the last Terrence Malick film I've watched. He's putting them out so fast. Um, but I did I did watch uh, a Hidden Life in theaters um, back I believe in January. Uh, I don't I don't know that one. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't get I don't get exposed to film nearly in the way that you do. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Because it's either got to come through like my my three channels are word of mouth over yeah. American internet, which is kind of hard. It's very limited, right? Like, because I'm yeah. not gonna like you. Know, then you have to know who to listen to about what to watch because you know it's that that's a whole another sort of tough call, right? Yeah. And then um, then there's there's like whatever's gonna come into actual theaters here, which is really not that much. Um, especially not anything outside. Essentially, if it's not made by the Disney Corporation, I yeah. don't. It doesn't exist in Japanese theaters, uh, yeah. or or I guess like um, whatever company makes the Minion movies, uh, <laughs> it's Universal Studios. <laughs> but like I don't, I remember yeah. what the the I think it's like Illumination or whatever. Isn't that Spielberg? Yeah. I don't know. But um, I have no idea, man. I don't know either. But um, yeah, like I don't see. Because like, I don't like when I go to the movie theater, there's not just a whole bunch of like advertisements for things like Terrence Malick movies, right? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So and yeah. Since since the Thin Red Line in '98, in 2005 he did The New World, 2011 The Tree of Life, 2012 To the Wonder, 
2015, Night of Cups. 2016, Voyage of Time. 2017, Song to Song. 2019, A Hidden Life. And The Last Planet, uh, he has, I believe. So he's really just doing a, a movie yeah. a year now. Right, right. All um, right, well. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Last Planet is a story about Jesus. Uh, Hidden Life was a biography of a saint. Uh, <clears throat> Song to Songs, a romantic drama starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Rooney Mara. Um, Knight of Cups, I'm pretty sure, had religious overtones. The Tree of Life certainly had religious overtones. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's a fascinating guy. But this movie is weird. <laughs> in, in not yeah. just because of its religious overtones. So the Days of Heaven, the, the name... Um, the name is a biblical reference, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's a psalm, but I can't remember what it is. Um, the uh, the narration plays with a lot of very simplistic, childlike understandings of Christianity. Uh, not that not that those understandings have not been pushed by adults um, <laughs> as right. means of social control, usually throughout throughout particularly western history but but also in western imperialism <laughs> but but like the idea that that god doesn't even hear you if you don't like him um is uh is something she says outright <laughs> right well but at least again her excuse is that she is a child which at least right. is a good excuse right right who is um, who has probably been like her her exposure to to religious information has probably been haphazard at best uh, <laughs> right, we consider right. just sort given of a her living life. situation yes. yeah yes uh the uh the filmographer here is Nestor Almendros um who uh basically the the same year that we were watching this um that he made this uh he made uh he shot Coco the Talking Gorilla for <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, Schroeder. Right. I remember Coco the Talking Gorilla. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, which means he's probably in Coco the Talking Gorilla because I think there was a lot of clearly the crew. In, yeah, I mean, basically everybody, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he actually did kind of drop out of this movie. So it, he dropped out because he had other other work he was committed to and this movie just took so long right well um, i mean yes as we just he, talked about two years of editing he worked with a week with haskell wexler another cinematographer to um have a continuity of style uh to make sure that wexler was shooting it to his vision okay um but also at the time alamendros uh like luis Quadra- quadrado we talked about with Spirit of the Beehive. Alamendros here was going blind during filming. Now, he continued to shoot films for a number of years after this. Um, Alamendros did. Uh, Alamendros' solution to his failing eyesight uh, was to have his assistant take a Polaroid of each shot while they were setting it up. 
Right. And then Alamandros would examine that Polaroid with a magnifying glass to uh, uh, okay. to uh, set everything up. Alamandros, actually, I do have that information. He left uh, because he was committed to shoot Francois Truffaut's The Man Who Loved Woman, or The Man Who Loved Women, rather. Um, so uh, Wexler is uh, decided himself to only take a credit for additional photography. And that actually had a conversation with the producer behind it in that Wexler had already won an Oscar. And when this was nominated, um, or or even, I guess, before it was nominated, when it was being put out, um, they were pretty sure pretty sure it was going to do fairly well. Um, and well, yeah. Alamandros yeah. did not have an Oscar at that point, uh, if I remember this correctly. So... Uh, Wexler gave Alamandros the cinematographer credit and took additional photography credit on it so that if it did win an Oscar, Alamandros would win it. Um, and I think it did, though I'm not, I can't remember. Yeah, often. I remember seeing something about it, yeah. but then I didn't actually like. Oscar yeah. wins are not a thing we usually end up talking about very much, so I don't. Yeah. I mean, we talk about them usually as a little bit of context and then we move on, right. and so I don't. Right. I, I very rarely <laughs> right. really pay I'm not, very much I'm not investigating it. it. Um, the, uh, one reason this took so long and then took so long to edit is that it was a very loose structure. Well, right. Um, The thing I, the thing I got out of like the one thing, the major takeaway I had from the, um, sort of what I did see about it was the fact that essentially the narration was added later because the movie didn't really have any flow without something to bind it together. Right. So the actors were apparently, I, maybe even from the start, the actors were meant to be improvising. Um, the call sheets were sparse. Uh, the schedule was changed at short notice to take advantage of changes of the weather since they were filming on location outdoors in the Texas panhandle. Um, while that gave the cast more freedom, it uh, it really, really bothered a lot of the crew who right. were used to better organization uh, and took it as a sign that Malik and Alamendros had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> In fact, like, I a get number that. of crew members... I understand um, that. Yeah, yeah, a member of crew members quit because of that. Uh Two weeks into production, Malik, disheartened by what he was seeing in the dailies, decided to throw out the script and, quote, go Leo, Leo Tolstoy instead of Fyodor Dostoevsky by shooting whatever seemed like a good idea at the time and making plans to trim the film down in the editing room, uh, which obviously caused it to fall behind schedule and go well, way over and budget. is also a pretty obvious yeah. explanation for why um, you end up uh, with two years of editing. <laughs> Right. If you if you uh, don't if you don't go into your shooting with a plan, you're basically writing the movie in the editing yeah. room. Producer Bert Schneider had to mortgage his house to cover eight hundred thousand dollars over budget. Oh my god. Um, the uh <laughs> He rented helicopters for for the locust scene, the way they did that was they had everybody moving backwards and dropped peanut shells 
like the scene where the locusts fly out of the field, uh-huh. particularly. Because uh, we do get a lot of inset shots of actual locusts. But um, the uh, the way they filmed the locusts flying away um, was that they had everybody move backwards and they dropped two loads of peanut shells from a couple of helicopters. Wow. Uh, and then played that in reverse. Um, the day they originally scheduled to film that and the helicopters were there... Malik decided to do something else <laughs> and to keep the helicopters on hold just in case he decided that that's what they needed to do. <laughs> Wait, but like they did end up doing that because they did end up doing that, but not that day, which means he had the oh helicopters rented for at least one extra day than they needed, which is another reason it's over budget. Right. Um, the it's, vintage... almost as if, it's almost as if it causes trouble when you don't have yeah. a plan. Yeah. The, uh, the vintage machinery would break down, and it would take all morning to fix. So the filming often, often didn't start until late afternoon. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Or, or even, like, right before dusk as they're trying to shoot morning and afternoon scenes. So, oh, yeah, it was, it was stressful at best for the crew, yeah. I am sure. Uh, Richard Gere ends up in this as the... As the male lead, uh, but but Malik went through just a big plethora. You know, we talk about things like this all the time. Uh, but Malik originally wanted John Travolta to star in this movie. Okay, I mean, um, sure. Which Why I guess not? for the time makes sense. Uh, yeah, John I mean, Tra- it's really. It's but John really Travolta hard. couldn't do it, for instance, because of the timing, uh, because he was committed to Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> Like that's one of the like John Travolta is John Travolta is one of those weird characters in the sense that like you and I being human beings are yeah. basically fundamentally incapable of divorcing modern Travolta from like that's fair that's fair historical Travolta and like boy did people have a different idea about John Travolta <laughs> in 1978 1978 yes. yeah yeah um the uh <laughs> After after Travolta couldn't do it, they offered it to Dustin Hoffman, who said no. And then they offered it to Al, P- Al Pacino, who said no. <laughs> and then they wow. got Richard Gere. <laughs> Wonder what it feels uh, like to be like six down on the list. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I guess it's Richard Gere. <laughs> I don't even know that Richard Gere had done a lot at this point. Um, I'm not. I I don't. Boy, man, we're like. Yeah, digging into a whole. My knowledge of seventies film in general is pretty limited. Um, oh. According to Wikipedia, Richard Gere was in four movies prior to this. All um, right, so like not not yeah. zero work, not like yeah. completely unknown, but not like the most famous person on the earth either. Right, right. This is before American Gigolo, which I think is probably the earliest movie that I would think would be a star making role for, for gear. Um, an officer in the gentleman was, was just after that. And, and obviously eventually we get to pretty woman 12 years after this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why a lot of people who know who Richard gear is and what right. led him to be a star of the nineties. But it's a very fascinating movie in, you know, you, you said the narrations added afterwards because, what they get edited to is 
almost nothing. Like without this, without the narration, this movie would not make a lot of sense. Well, I mean, okay, and yes, and, and normally no. I think that would be a problem, but I don't know that that's a problem here. No, I my my thought is this: I I was watching the movie because I actually saw that pro, that piece of information prior to like starting the movie, like before I even started the movie. So I was like, okay, like let's keep this in mind while we watch. Like, let's see, like could I make heads or tails of this? without assistance was kind of like where my my mind went and and actually the only thing you you probably couldn't get like it being totally honest based on what i saw the only thing you couldn't get of the context would be the fact that um she's marrying him exclusively as a sort of ploy right what I mean is, but, is you could definitely buy – so what I mean is, like, if you watched it divorced the narration – well, no, because even they say that out loud. So without the narration, I'm not actually convinced the movie has to have the narration, honestly. I think – It would be jumpy. There is like implication, would, but no outright discussion uh, of uh, – the fact that she is pretending to be his sister. Right. No, yes, no, that's true. That is 100% true. You you are correct there. Yeah. But but the thing is is their physical interactions would not imply to you that they are pretending to be brother and sister, okay? Right. right. So so what I'm saying is is what you would get you would get a slightly different story, okay? It would not be a perfect you would not get the story we watched. Okay, that's for sure. But what you would get is a she married like because they're very obviously like involved, romantically involved, leading up to her arriving on the farm. So like, I actually because of the narration thing, I actually just imagined if you if it were a silent film, not even with narrate. I kind of divorced the dialogue completely, and what you would get from it would be, well, they're romantically involved. And they go to this place, and somehow or another, this rich landowner ends up take ends up wooing her or, or finding a way to convince her to marry him. Yeah. And then, but she continues carrying on an affair with her former lover, which eventually causes the dramatic events at the end. You know what I mean? Like the context of pretending to be her sister and stuff, his sister and stuff doesn't actually necessarily actually add that much to the basic narrative framing of the movie other than to just it's all flavor you know what i mean like when you actually stop and think about it it doesn't change the fundamental story that much because well yes and no because the the owner sam shepherd's character would not have pursued her totally you're you're absolutely right she were involved absolutely but but I I totally agree with that. You're you're 100 yeah. right about that. But what I'm saying is is that that's because we know who he is. I, again. I imagined it as a silent film. Yeah, and uh, like uh, silent in like the purest sense, in the sense that I have to get everything from only right. what I'm seeing on the screen. Right. And the takeaway from there, but and so without the context of what kind of air quotes person he is, you don't know that he wouldn't do that. That's fair. 
That's fair. You know what I mean? Like, and and this is a weirdly artificial way to watch a movie, but because I decided to do it that way because I thought it would be interesting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't I didn't do it because like you that's the best way to watch this movie or anything like that. It's just what I chose to do because I was like, well, shits and giggles. I wonder what that would be like. And turns out you get pretty, you can get pretty far because I thought like, okay, well the narration's adding something like what, what other things are adding to tell you this story sort of artificially in, in, in in a sort of way of understanding it because like it, it, but the fundamental story is there. It just all it changes is well, a it stops right. being, it stops being a specific biblical reference, yeah, um, and, and that, becomes the more biblical just reference. General. I feel like the biblical reference is an interesting thing in in what it takes and what it leaves from the story it's talking about. So Abraham is married to his half sister, and you know obviously that's not something we take here, but. But they show up, and he tells the local king that Sarah's just his sister. And and Sarah's known to be beautiful from other passages of Genesis. Um, So the king courts Sarah and marries Sarah, and then God stops him from uh, consummating that. And, uh, and the king says to Abraham, what's going on? Uh, Abraham tells him what's going on. And in the narrative, the king realizes he's made a mistake, feels very bad about that, uh, never uh, never really goes in an angry, what the hell are you doing, guys, sort of response to that. Uh, and by way of apology, not only returns Sarah to Abraham, but gives them a bunch of livestock and servants and lets them live anywhere they want to in his region. Uh, um, and a thousand pieces of silver on top of that. Uh, and, yeah, that's basically the whole thing, okay. right? So, so like, the what they're borrowing from that narrative is clear. But what they're leaving behind from that narrative uh, I suppose makes the story more realistic, particularly to an early 20th century American setting. Um, obviously, this guy, if he found out he was being conned like this, uh, wouldn't just let it go without any questions and, and probably should be angry. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean... Well, though, yeah. though he is blind with rage in the movie uh, to the point of doing some pretty stupid things. But well, yeah, you know, like setting fire to his fields, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like you know, really, when it comes down to it, like I don't know, like my my point was more that like I don't think the biblical thing has really is really adding anything to the story. Like, I mean, it's adding to the story, obviously. Again, as I said, in sort of yeah. flavor and well, and. And that's, making it more complicated. But what I mean is, why, like, you could cut out all these sorts of things, right? Like you, like I mentioned yeah. before, you could cut out the whole pretending to be a sister and all this stuff, and you would still have this kind of romantic right. period drama. 
the Abraham allusions don't really add anything to it, and I agree with you there. I only bring it up to say this is why it exists. And maybe right. in a different version of this tale, what Malik originally wanted to perform, put on to film, or maybe even one that exists in a different cut of what was filmed, is closer to the source material, and he just wanted to update the source material and set it in 1916 U.S. culture. Right. I don't okay. know. In right. any case, what ended up happening is not that. It's For me, it's like, I think we're going to have a hard time escaping the sort of black yeah. hole that is the sort of biblical-esque elements of the narrative. Uh, yeah. I did, like, I did misspeak earlier to say this was filmed on location in Texas. It actually filmed in Alberta and Calgary. They were in yeah, I, I, was, I, and, I had yeah. heard you say that, and I was like, oh, wait. I, yeah. And then like I, we got caught up in other things. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I. it's just that, like, I don't know. Like, when I start thinking about it in sort of, like, storytelling elements, a lot of that stuff, like, I don't know that, like, the, do you think that that makes it a better story? I just think that they are remnants of what this was originally meant to be. Sure, okay. Like, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Like, I can believe that. So I don't, I I can't, I can't justify them being in this version of what... Right. Well, that's what I'm kind of getting down to is if you're going to do your entire writing in post anyway, right? You don't have any reason why you need it to be this story anymore. Yeah. That is actually apparently was not well conveyed enough without having narration anyway. Yeah. Like it kind of gets weird that way because it's like okay, well we we also aren't telling the story convincingly enough without a narrative. Yeah. Well, he's also he's also two weeks into filming before he decides that this isn't working and we just need to shoot as much as possible and I'll fix everything in post, right? right? So they've already got material to that point, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, what he ends up wanting to use, he needs to make sense of, and he ends right. up wanting to use enough of the sister-wife... Uh, con that he's got to offer greater explanation for the context of exactly what's going on there right right i think i think at that point the narration as you said added post-production um becomes a means of explaining the holes to the story that were created by the way the story was put together right (laughs) i yeah i don't know it's it that that is a I, you're, I think you're 100% right, but, like, think about how convoluted what you just described was. Oh, I know. <laughs> don't, like, don't get me wrong. really convoluted. <laughs> like, what the hell, guys? Like, maybe if you if things fall apart, the best solution is probably not to, like, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, people like this movie, and it, and it did well. It ended up, we talked about sort of Oscar nods and all that stuff. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just it I when as the movie was sort of telling me what it was, I kept finding myself being like why are we making these choices right now? Like I don't understand like what their purpose is in the movie. And you know, we talked about like why that 
why they we think they exist and stuff. But I I don't know. It's I just have a hard time getting over it because it's so weird. Yeah. Well, um, what there's a little more context to that that Tolstoy not Dostoevsky quote, and it's it's the next clause is um, wider instead of deeper. Um. And I suppose, okay. yeah, I don't, I don't want another episode of me explaining Russian literature to you since I'm not, not super well read in Russian literature anyway. But I think what what that's meant is, think of what you even stereotypically know about War and Peace as wide, right? Know, a long work focusing on a lot of different aspects to say something broad about society, versus right, right. what we've talked about with Dostoevsky when he's come up before of a explicit character study about the soul of a man right Uh, yeah i see what you're i I know what you're saying i mean yeah but like do you feel like this is wide it is not terribly wide but it is as wide as the context could allow for right okay Uh, yeah i mean i see what you're saying again the fact that they started filming this before uh, before they decided that that was the change they wanted to make. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, man. Because like, I'm not even going into this movie with like a negative impression of the movie Yeah. on the whole. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, like what it fundamentally is right like when when you get really down to like sort of brass tacks on it it's just a period romantic drama that like has that very specific it's that very specific kind about like lovers who can't be together and and that sort of stuff right yeah because of like so you know oh just right it's just society right like Stands in our way, stands in love, uh, in the way of our love, right? Basically, it's a little bit more complicated because of things that are set up with, like, again, as we talked about, about the fact that, um, you know, it being a sort of false marriage, right? But, yeah, again, if you cut out the references to it being a false marriage, you just have the king wooed over, you know, if you go to that sort of that sort of yeah. reference the king wooed over the the wife and or lover of the main character but yeah. she doesn't really love him she loves the main character but oh society prevents us from being together the way we want to well and i also it ends in tragedy like that movie exists like that that thing we just ta- i just talked about it, yeah. it exists many times over yeah. again i think i think at its heart the narrative we have is not about Richard Gere's character. It is more right. blanketly about the women in the society. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And the situations that the men's greed in ways, competitiveness in others, hot-headedness certainly, uh, force these women into situations. You know. And obviously, in very much... I think in a lot of ways, the little sisters portrayed as sort of a blank slate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's she's obviously regurgitating a lot of things she's been told, right. uh, yeah. with with particular to the religious elements, um, 
with people's motivations. You know, she frequently just says, that's just what people do sometimes, you know? <laughs> right, right, like, right. She's not, she's not thinking about it critically. Um, I, a lot of the way, she's, she's obviously uneducated. Um, there are things in this movie, I think, to suggest that she's developmentally disabled to some degree. Yeah, um, uh, the movie definitely implies something to that effect. It's yeah. very, it plays it very sort of close to the chest, but yeah, yeah. Um, like even even the people her age she interacts with, obviously have a different understanding of the world than she does. Um, not that she gets a lot of interaction with people her age, but right. Uh, but then, um, you know, Abby, the the girlfriend, um. It is a, it is her tragedy too, uh, even though she is not the character who dies at the end, um, and I'm grateful that she's not the character who dies at the end. Yeah, I <laughs> thought that's where we might be headed. <laughs> right, right. For quite a bit of the movie, even even into the final sequence, I thought, yeah. or not the final sequence, but but Richard Gere's Bill's death sequence, I thought, right. I thought might might somehow end up with with her dead, yeah. Abby or I, Linda dead. Um, yep, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, I think, I think the movie's about about them and about women's position. You know, that's we frequently get conversations about uh, men who have just up and disappeared on women. We end right. with a conversation like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I I agree that that's it. it it's just that the framing of it is such that like. We we end up with a sort of classic case where like it's that's the story framed from a very specifically also sort of male point of view on it though. I think that's uh, fair. Yes, we di- we spend a lot of time on Richard Gear for like a movie that's ostensibly about her. Yeah, um, like not saying it's terrible. Like I mean, I'm not saying that they did the worst job or anything like that. Like we've definitely definitely seen worse. Um. But, you know, we've also seen better, and I feel like, to a certain extent, the movie wants to kind of have it both ways. It wants to ostensibly be a movie about her, but also have a fuck ton of Richard Gere in it. Yeah. I also think, given the stressful situation here, given that it was two years in editing, given that Malick did not make another movie for 20 years that this is a movie Malik did not know what he wanted to do by the time yeah. it came to put it out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. And yeah. maybe that's kind of clear. And I, even, no, I agree. Even, I agree. Even though he didn't know what he wanted to do, he has still managed a beautiful film. Uh, yeah, totally. And uh, and Maricone's soundtrack certainly helps with that, too. Um, right. Uh but he's one of my favorite film composers, so, you know, you got that. Um, this movie did not do well at the box office, but it is also... He won Best Director at Con, and he's only the, the second American director to win Best Director at Con after uh, Jules Dawson's Rafifi, um, which was itself a French film. It was just Dawson right. after he had fled the U.S. Uh, so it was critically recepted but it did not make any money 
interestingly right. enough, because frequently we would run into stories differently to this, uh, the head of Gulf and Western, who at the time owned Paramount, Charles Bloodhorn, uh, okay. loved this movie so much that he offered Malik $100 million for his next project, whatever it was. Wow. Uh, even though this movie made uh, $440,000 in its initial Well, see, release. that's the weird thing. Is like, I, I want to... The, the other thing that's kind of weird about this movie is, like, when I think... Of, okay, think about your experience with movies, right? Yeah. Sometimes these kinds of movies which are fundamentally basically the same as this movie, make a bajillion dollars. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Like, a lot of it seems to depend on, like, how it's marketed and a lot of that kind of stuff decides whether or not a film like this is literally becomes one of the most famous movies ever or yeah. basically just sort of disappears. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, think a telling – oh, wait, go ahead. Sorry. Like, yeah. No, you go ahead. You finish that thought because I no, think I, I think I'm it's step back it, it is fascinating to me that like I I feel like and and I wonder though if some of those things that prevented it from being that kind of because something like this these sort of period piece romantic dramas can sometimes be total like knockouts in terms of the box box office and I feel like a big part of that is marketing. And then yeah. I also feel like I wonder if the fact that the movie feels to me a little confused would also have something to do with that. Yeah. But again, liked by critics, which for these kind of movies usually is a good sign. Yeah. You know, these these sorts of romantic dramas sort of depend on critics being like, "Yes, you should go see this." Yeah, I don't know. I think Yeah, I don't, I don't I, know either. I'm just, I'm just throwing shit out here. Just I th- I think one of the things I feel about this movie, you know, in it, it being the story of the women, despite the fact that our our protagonist seemingly is is gear, right, and right. and it's his conflict with uh, the other men that that drives the narrative too, right, right. That this this is a movie about the women, but it's a movie about periphery-ness, I suppose, too, right? And and even right. even frequently what we see on screen is periphery to what's happening. Most of this story takes place off screen, in fact. And 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 we frequently uh get just scenes of the field when we could right. be watching something going on well, on screen. But that that feels to me like a sub a, a you know, that's the thing about a movie where you didn't know what you were making necessarily a hundred percent when you started is that like, right. You need a, uh, a lot of filler B a narration because it doesn't. But then again, like, like I said, I think you could understand a story yeah, without the narration, but it would also probably not be very long. If you think about the fact that a, you're going to cut out all the filler and cut out the narration. It's probably like, a lifetime, not even lifetime, because lifetimes hit that full ninety minute mark. I mean, I don't know. It's it's to me, this is kind of fits into a strange category. Right, that has not happened on this podcast a lot because we just haven't had to watch movies like this that right. much. I think if Malik were consciously trying to make a movie like this, it would have been longer than ninety four minutes. Right, I agree. Yes, I agree. 
You mean if he wasn't trying to make a biblical a, a retelling of a biblical epic in a I mean uh, but was I actually mean, just trying to make had, a romantic drama if he had like set, set if he had set out to make with an idea of the exact film he ended up with yeah. it would have been longer. I right, think. right. Well, it probably also wouldn't have had like a lot of field shots. I mean, it probably right. would have still had a pretty intense number of field shots, but right. probably not this level. I don't uh, here's know. the other thing that's weird about that is that um cuz just thinking about that same category of of thought like about field shots um is oh well no I lost my thought train of thought you go ahead it's gone now <laughs> it died in I, my brain. I wish you could remember that yeah I don't know I oh no I like I was kind of dumbfounded by a lot of like I don't think that again I don't think the camera work is bad it is to me confusing uh because again I feel like the camera work doesn't always line up with the movie um yeah an example of that is there are a lot of Dutch angles in this movie, like a lot, and very yeah. intense ones, yeah, like extreme Dutch angles, like for conversations where people are talking, <laughs> and then we Dutch angle up to both of the people in the conversation. I'm like, what is happening here? This is that doesn't jive that well to my mind with a movie about like essentially star-crossed lovers that's a to me that's a weird one yeah. i don't know why you i i mean again as you said maybe it lines up better with whatever movie they were originally planning to make in those early scenes but like there we do a lot of like basically being able to see up people's noses um in like regular conversation. Yeah. Which is a little strange. No, I get it. Um, and I think this is very strange for a movie period. Across it, the I mean, board. It, it's strange for any movie that doesn't like where, where it's a strange for any movie where, Oh yes, it's full of Dutch angles. Doesn't seem like an obvious, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a certain frame of movie where you're like, yes, it's full of Dutch angles. You know, like, yep, that checks out. This is the sort of movie that would be full of those. Yeah. Uh, this is not one of them. Like a yeah. period drama, like a period romantic drama, is not usually the, the the place where you would find a lot of that. Yeah, which is where I think ultimately what what this film, as it exists, was going for is again to talk about those peripheries, to talk about the women, to focus on woman to woman conversation. Right. Um, the the our female leads talk to one another a lot more than our male leads talk to one true. another. Right. True. Um, and totally. frequently we have Linda having conversations with other women too. Um, right. True. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and, and, and those conversations don't necessarily add anything to the plot whatsoever. Right. 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 <laughs> At any point. <laughs> uh, even, even the conversations between the two female leads don't add a lot to the plot. Like the whole conversation about uh, how uh, Abby loves it here because it's so different from the job she used to have in Chicago where she was inside for 12 hours a day and never saw the sun and her skin was so white because all she did was roll cigars uh, right. <laughs> in a warehouse, you know? Um, and then the quieter scenes of them interacting, the, 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 the meeting in the gazebo, just playing baseball. You know, they're, they're scenes of a comfortable life. Uh, 
and in that it is scenes of a paradise for these working class people um and then it becomes some sort of you know paradise lost in right, in their right. fall their fall from this paradise is that it is all their ticket into this was a lie to begin with right right um well that's yeah totally like yeah it, it's just and that those th- that's like the enjoyable part about this movie right like those the sort of middle section that seems to have no fundamental purpose yeah other than to establish paradise is my favorite part of this movie right like that's the part i actually enjoyed watching was um them just kind of having fun right in this paradise right right which and- is where where I think the movie's its strongest and why I talk about this movie as being a movie about peripheries, right? Because yeah, totally. I, I yeah. agree. I, but the problem is is that, like, I, I have no problem with a movie about peripheries. That That's fine. You still then need a plot for things to be periphery to. Right. Though, and then I guess is what, make, I'm, what I'm trying right, but, to get to. So. Right. And the problem I have with that is the fact that now what you're dealing with is the fact that in reality, though um, – you're better off with a simple plot if you're going to make a movie about like you you know what i mean like adding these having these weird extra elements just make that more confusing not less does that make sense like you you're like oh this is a movie about peripheries then the then the base plot should be pretty straightforward and and it is if you re, if you take out some of the complications we literally just talked about you know right. what i'm saying but like right. having those still be in there, then it becomes a matter of like, um, why did we do this this way? What is happening here? Uh, is kind of where I come down on it. Then at that point, because I don't know, like, okay, so we've got to keep him. Like, we want to just show a couple of different things, which is like, how much better? Like, I don't know. Like, cause like it also could easily be like a social draw, like a social commentary about how different their lives are in these two different environments based solely on, like, happenstance, which is interesting, too, but we don't establish their previous life very well to to, yeah. to, to buy but that. We, so we, but we establish it enough to see that out of love or social obligation, they are beholden to uh, Bill's anger issues too right now he is very loving to them right he never he never hits them he never even yells at them uh, until perhaps we get to an emotional point well even even out even through everything falling apart uh he has one terse conversation with her about uh with abby about abby actually being in love with uh right (laughs) with the owner um with with the farmer is literally his name. I don't think he's ever actually named on on screen. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I couldn't, but, I can't legitimately tell you basically the name of any yeah. of the characters. This but the only so reason, fine. the only reason they are in this situation, period, is that Bill got mad at a foreman at his old job, right? Uh, <clears throat> and hit him with something you should never hit someone with, which killed him because that's why you shouldn't hit them with it. Um, like right, right, yeah. You know. So. Uh, no. And then they're on the run because Bill killed someone else. So the circumstances of that 
are different in that he was defending himself, but he was defending himself after uh, well, I mean, setting, the up, of setting is, up the wheels of a situation where it would end like this. It had to right. end like this. Right, and then also, <laughs> like, when you think about the fact that, like, considering the time period and things like that, like, it's there again. There's another movie in here that exists that is also a so that is a social commentary that is based on the fact that like he wasn't going to get, no one was going to, but like there was no way he was gonna not be found guilty of murder. Basically, right. you know what I mean. Like there's no right. universe where he like yeah where everybody goes. Well, I mean, there's yeah, no self defense. Self-defense. Defense here. Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah. it. There's just too much sort of shit going on. Right, um, to make that 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 actual like right. a and the class difference at that argument. point is part of it too, right? Right, yeah, totally. That yeah. the class part of it is a big part of it, and then you combine that with the fact that like they were actively deceiving the people around them. Like it's just right. there's no way, yeah. Like and so like I mean him again, him running makes sense, but again this is this is the result of his actions, right? Like I mean right. that that is okay. So what we're getting down to for me is that this movie is confusing because not because like the story is confusing, but like it's a movie about peripheries where our where our but at the same time as a movie wherein there's this very complicated plot in which a man gets his sort of like gets what like his comeuppance for lack of a better term for all the sort of his like anger issues and his like bad, basically bad ideas. Right. Like, and that's a lot, man. That's a lot to have in a movie. In that regard, (laughs) I think what, where this movie fails is that everything happens because of Bill's moral failings, not because of anyone else's moral failings. Right. Well, (laughs) that's, and that's the the, weird thing. To the extent that Abby agrees to go along with the plan, but right. I mean, uh, and that's and that's an interesting thing, right? Because then that's essentially the opposite of social commentary in that sense, right? Because right, uh, this is everything that happens to Bill is Bill's fault. Yeah, and it's the working class because, idiot's right. fault for his anger management issues and uh, his greed, because that's ultimately right. the the motivation for this entire situation too, right? The hopes that the boss will die and they'll inherit the money, right? Right. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> So the foreman is his own jerk, and yeah, they're put upon. You know, he docks them a whole day's pay for uh, not being super good at piling hay in a <laughs> in a stack. Right. Um, the farmer, though, is this sort of ethical. I mean, he's for most of the film, he very much is the king in the Abraham and Sarah story too, right? A guy who could believably, when confronted with the truth, say, oh, if I had known, I never would have done this. Here have some resources. (laughs) Right. I mean, in my mind, I was kind of hoping for something in between those two extremes. Yeah. My actual, where my brain was going for most of the movie was because this farmer character is sort of portrayed in a very specific fashion which implies that he's sort of ineffectual and like he's he's like not like he has all this wealth but you don't get the impression that like 
he's particularly like he's not like a particularly like outgoing or anything like that you start to sort of build up this viewpoint where maybe you know maybe we don't know how he ended up with this wealth or anything like that maybe he's good at least at business but i was sort of like assuming that maybe it was going to end with them leaving and like running away and like nothing happens yeah you know what i mean because that, that that story there's that story too right where they like Maybe they don't get the money, but then they also get away, and then they have to like start their life again. Yeah, the fact that it turns into an all-out manhunt was kind of the least satisfying ending of the movie for me. Like of the possible endings, that was kind of like, mm, okay, if I'm being honest, like because it it's it's suddenly turning into a revenge film for the uh, for the foreman is a bit was kind of like all right well like i don't really (laughs) right i've moved on movie right you haven't but i've moved on right like i don't care about the foreman i didn't care about the farmer that much yeah so like Um, am i supposed to be invested in the in the now man like i don't i care about our main characters but then like it suddenly becomes that then that ending is so rushed in the sense that, like, you're not really, like, watching them on the run for, like, a long time. They're only yeah. on the run for, like, what, 10 minutes of the movie? What that does facilitate, though, is Abby finally experiencing some degree of freedom, um, which immediately leads her to try to live vicariously by uh, putting Linda into a dance school. <laughs> which, right. and which, then, and then which Abby understands to be out of town. Yeah. freedom, right? Because it's a legitimate job that a woman could have in the society without having to, you know, she learned to dance by watching the dancing girls at at whatever hall, Baker hall, I think she says. Um, so she, she could have been a dancer and that is that, that scene, uh, combined with her putting Linda into the dancing school suggests that that is her ideal of freedom in that she would be autonomous. Right. Right. And then she has the autonomy but she drops off Linda at the school where she'll be taken care of, hopefully, um, and then goes off to live her life. And Linda can't stand to be in the school, so runs away almost immediately. <laughs> but right, but yeah. Uh, but then again, you know, it's it's about these women uh, rejecting the social structures put onto them, even by other women. But yes. Right. It is nominally about that, but like we don't, the movie doesn't, hardcore commit to like showing well, us the, that the movie doesn't hardcore commit to anything <laughs> so, right. right like i mean like i could have done with like because we essentially one of our major nods to that is that very brief you know what you just described is what five minutes of film right right it's a lot of weight for five minutes of film to carry uh and and you know Without a lot of without a lot of assistance for the rest of the film, right? Um, I I know what you're saying, like in the sense that his death facilitates that. But there's also, again, there's like a million different universes of this film of this story, right? There's a different universe of this film where, like, this event makes her just leave him. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it turning into a manhunt for a while was just sort of like, well, right. okay. 
I guess this is what's happening in this movie now. Fine. Yeah. Here we I, go. <laughs> yes. I also, the manhunt portion was graciously short. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but one thing it also provides is the uh, the outsiders to that situation, the periphery of that situation itself, being a bunch of people uh, not caring about what's going on one way or another. Like no one, no one joins oh, with the police, them. but yeah. also they don't, they don't actively point out Bill when he's hiding under the bank, right? Yeah, they just watch yeah. what's going on, um, <clears throat> which is, I don't know, another wrinkle in this. I don't know what to think of that, really. I don't know because it kind of sometimes, like I said before, like it does sometimes feel like the movie also wants to be social commentary. Yeah. But, like, not about, like, women's place in society, but, like, a whole different social commentary, which is, like, about the fact that, like, you know, like, people's place, like, in general, people's place in society and the fact that, like, people don't care about each other. Like, uh, I'm tired. (laughs) This movie really, like, I knew it was going to be like this, but talking about this movie, like, for real is where, like, wears me out. Yeah. Because... It's just you the I feel like we're doing what Terrence Malick did for two years in the editing right. room. Right. Like try to make sense that. of what we've been yeah. provided with. Yeah. With, Except like, we didn't have an active hand in providing have, that cho- to ourselves. Have a choice. But, yeah. I mean we had a choice. We made a choice what six years ago. It was right. a bad one. No, I'm just right. kidding. Uh but like you know what I mean, right? Like we I don't know like it kind of feels like maybe at some point you say to yourself, like, no, this is, this shit's a lost cause. or Yeah. And then again, like, I also get why people would like it because if you don't invest a ton of time into, like, sort of drowning in it, you know what I mean? Like, we, we do. Yeah. Then, like, as a period, like, sort of um, romantic drama, yeah, okay. It's... Got that sort of like, I don't know how to describe. I'm like I I've always I struggle for the term that you would use. I don't know of any term. I, you know how like the this era seventies eighties period dramas oftentimes deal with intrigue and have that sort of like the romance of the past combined with like star-crossed lovers and stuff and like there's a certain yeah. sort of like visual style to them that like. All sort of screams like, I want to, I want to see the sexy past, but not like in that like the grosser way that you can get later on, where it's like really like there's not like a ton of like it's not like full of nudity or anything like that, but yeah. like there's that like I want a sort of intrigue filled period dra- like romantic drama. They all have this sort of same feeling to them. And this definitely has that feeling to it. Um, then again, like we said, it didn't make nearly the money that those kinds of dramas are capable of making. Well, I think, and this is this is drawing from from Ebert's review of this. Um, Ebert points out that a lot of people feel like the that this movie is emotionally muted. I think that's probably fair right. to the audience going to see this at the time and why it would have done worse than other period right. love stories yeah. like this. Uh, now, now, 
what Ebert then goes on, and I'm just reading this now, um, but it does reflect sort of some of the things I've already said. Uh, Ebert talks about why it's muted because it's filtered through Linda's character, right? You know, she it's emotionally muted because she's not feeling the emotions that we're seeing, and we're seeing sort oh, of her yeah. understanding of those emotions, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, of course, that maybe falls apart in that we do see a number of scenes where Linda is not uh, uh, privy to them. She's not witnessing them. We see things happen. Right. Yeah. No one had any reason to tell her about later. So, <laughs> but maybe. Well, right. I mean, yeah, it, it still mostly just becomes a tonal overlay rather than like. Yeah. Right. Like, this is not a movie from her perspective. Right. She's not telling us what's everything that's happening as we see it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and that, that yeah. makes things more complicated. It, it always right. does because, like, it's nominally about her, but it's not from her perspective. It's not really from anybody's perspective. Right. Right. Uh, we definitely have a non-character observer. Yeah. Uh, even even our narr- – it's not even from our narrator's perspective, actually – I mean, our narrator has something to say about the movie, or like the story, but it's not from our narrator's perspective either. Um, yeah. Because if that were the case, then it would be much brighter and happier in right. in tone and quality because that little girl is probably the one who's getting the most out of this experience. Yeah, but I don't know that that's fair because she's also someone who is herself very much downtrodden. No, I know, but like when when you talk about whose days of heaven it actually is, it's the narrator. It's very much her days of heaven, yeah. Like she's the only one who's capable of probably capable of actually truly enjoying this experience. Yeah. And she even talks because about that, you know. Right. Exactly. It's even in the narration about the fact that like this is this was the most pl- and like that in itself is a sad like that's probably the most intense thing about this film is the fact that there's just a little kid who is just sort of the victim of the movie y- you know what i mean like is just there and like yeah. for a very brief time has like a good life or at least a life that is pleasant and it's probably the only one that she will have when you consider how the rest of history is going to go after this. Uh, I mean, that's that's a whole other thing, right, to think about that is upsetting is the fact that, like, but it's not, she's not really the main character of the movie. Yeah. Because it's it's not our, it's not, our fe- it's not uh what's it it's i've lost the name of it. linda is right there's the main the uh, the older woman the right. younger woman is linda rather the teenage girl okay yeah see I, I i'm getting them confused now in my head um shoot um but like the so yeah like abby's not it's not her days of heaven right this is not i mean she actually seems to be enjoying some parts of this right like she seems she, to actually like the farmer. Right. Right. He seems like a very I mean and that and that's an interesting thing about this movie is that like that's what I'm saying when I said that like there's another version of this movie where like he doesn't 
go on a blind murderous rampage, right? Right. Where like he do- he has fallen in love with her, and is upset and like, but they still get away because like. I don't know. I I think I would like that movie better, but whatever. Yeah. Like that's just me personally. That's my preference of movies because like I don't need my movie to necessarily. I don't always enjoy my movie ending in a what essentially amounts to like some sort of gunfight. Yes. Now, fortunately, the movie does not explicitly end in that. We do have a no, number I of know, scenes but afterward. Like, but... Yes, I know, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's yeah. I mean, I own it now. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. Yeah. Um, this is also the second Criterion film we've watched where the characters watch The Immigrant, um, the Charlie Chaplin right. short. Seems so to be a thing. That. Seems to be a yeah. theme. Yeah. Uh, Au revoir, les enfants was uh, possibly a the Malé film. Was uh was certainly more depressing than this one, but right, but maybe not by much. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's probably time we we draw this to a close. I don't know. That yeah, I no, I agree. I I, I started I'm about it, feeling so. I'm definitely spinning my wheels at this point. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for listening. Um, we've been talking about Days of Heaven from 1978. Uh, directed by Terrence Malick, his second directorial um, and the last movie he would make for 20 years before <laughs> The Thin Red Line, which we will watch, I think, in about a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, we will eventually watch it for the project. I'm just not entirely sure where it fits in. But yeah. Next week, we'll be talking about John Huston's Under the Volcano. Uh, look forward to that story of a drunkard. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. We'd appreciate it.